Well, hey guys, today's podcast is going to be a fun one. We're going to be talking about recruiting and developing and empowering multiplying leaders within your business or church. But before I do anything, I want to make sure and thank you guys for subscribing and following along with this podcast. It's been so much fun getting to connect with hundreds of thousands of you. Seriously, it's so much fun. We're all just getting a little bit better. And again, these aren't just facts. I'm not an incredible 100-year expert, but I am giving my observations from things that I've seen. And before I jump any further, I want to highlight two things that I typically highlight. Number one, if you're looking for a local church, you can hit in my show notes, Crossover Media, and they'll have my name in it as well. And you fill out the form, and in seconds, you get connected to a local church. I think it is super cool. We all need a local church. We know that the local church is the hope of the world. And a Christian without community is a fish without water. So if you can, hit the link and connect to a local church. The other thing, if you are a church leader looking for resources, I have attached some incredible courses from my friend Sweb. He's an incredible leader. I've had him on twice on the podcast, and he is an incredible thinker. He will build and make sure your team is equipped. So without, do, without further ado, let's jump into the podcast today. Like I said, we're going to be talking about recruiting, developing leaders. And as we jump into this, I want to give you a couple key notes that I think before we go into this concept of building and finding the right people and recruitment and multiplying yourself and others, I want to highlight three things that I think will help us all center our hearts to the right idea. Number one, you aren't in community with people you don't eat with. And I know that in this time in life, when we all work from remote, most of us outside of the church, but the reality is we need to be in community and we need to be as leaders having people in our homes because in 2023, nobody is looking for the perfect leader. I think we can all agree with that, that, that I'm not perfect. You're not perfect, but you're not in community with people you don't eat with. I know that the perception is that person is your pastor or you are their pastor, but if they're not in your home, if they're not at the table with you and your family and they're not seeing the real version of yourself. It's a really scary place to live because people right now don't need the perfect pastor in a staff meeting. They need a friend and a leader and a person getting them closer to Jesus. And that doesn't happen in a staff meeting most of the times. Yes, it can. We've talked about meetings. and I think they're important, but you need to have people in your home. I heard this this last weekend. It's, it's super challenging and challenged me anyways. Do not call yourself their pastor if they have not been in your home and a dinner with you or you haven't been in their home and ate dinner with them. You're not their pastor. You might be their friend. You might be their acquaintance. But a pastor is somebody who is a shepherd taking care of sheep, taking care of the people God has entrusted with you. So the reality is you yourself, you can be a pastor. You are a pastor. God's called you. But let's get people in our homes and let's have radical hospitality. Let's be the most hospitable people on the planet. Number two, motives matter. We don't use people to build the church. We use the church to build the people. Your motives and your heart need to be centered because if you have any sort of insecurity, any sort of pride, and those things happen when we don't have leadership above us, challenging us and pushing away our ego, a huge indicator for me anyways, and we'll, I promise we'll get into the meat and the potatoes of this podcast, but a huge indicator is if you can't genuinely accept and be okay with the family or the individual's boundaries, you are not ready for this. You're not ready for recruitment. You're not ready to multiply. You're not ready to 
all the things we're about to jump into if you aren't okay with people's boundaries because nobody's going to set your boundaries for you. If you're listening to this in the opposite side and you are a pastor is talking to you about leading, nobody's going to set the boundaries for you. That is your responsibility. So set your boundaries and the pastor or leader listening to this, you need to honor those boundaries. And number three, this is a different one, but you don't need anyone. How horrible it is to know if you're serving in a church right now and your pastor only talks about the things he needs from other people. Or like, are you blind to the 27 people serving on a Sunday that are already putting their heart and soul into the thing? When you constantly beg and need, what you're showing is you have a poverty mindset. All you have is all you need. That is okay. The concept and the heart behind this podcast today is going to help you resource and understand once you have a solid community, once you understand that it happens at the dinner table, motives matter, and you don't need anyone, then we can move on. So you don't need anyone. You have everything you need. I don't care if that is two people or 200. The people God has entrusted you with are the people that you can push forward the kingdom of God with. So I want to walk through recruitment. I've heard this a lot in the church, but recruitment in itself is an imperative for the church to move forward, right? The church moves forward with the pace of its people's generosity. Generosity isn't just money, it's their time and their and their talents. So how do, how do we recruit? Let's get super practical here for the next 20 minutes. I want to give you practical recommendations anyways to recruit people in your church. These are the people that are already saved. They're people who attend your local church. This isn't week one of them not knowing Jesus. This is the true person who is a part of your church. If you ask them where they go to church, they say your church, but they're not a part of anything. This is how we were going to recruit them. Number one, share the vision with them. You need to get super specific on the vision. Like, and if you're not a lead pastor, find your lead pastor and ask him, what is the specific vision of the ministry you've entrusted me with that God has entrusted you to oversee this local church. And if you're the if you're the lead pastor, if you're an executive pastor, you need to have a vision. Pastors and leaders who do not have a vision, again, we know this, will perish just like the people in their church will. And I'm not saying vision isn't we're going to reach 10 million people in 20 years, let's do it. Maybe it is, I don't know. But the vision needs to be practical and attainable for the people to understand and to see themselves in. So in order to share a vision, you need to have a vision. You listening to this, you need to have a vision, a vision for your ministry, a vision for your marriage, a vision for the people in part of the church. And that's, that's a part of it, right? Sharing the vision with them over dinner, over coffee, not on Sundays is imperative. You need to know what the vision is. And the vision should be something you bring up almost every single week to your staff and your team. Whoever, maybe you're just leading, honestly, the welcome, the welcome team. You're outside with those big signs with a smile on your face. You can share a vision of that team. And if you don't have a vision for that team, ask your leader. Your leader should have a vision for each of their teams. So you just shared the vision with them. Now, step two is asking for a commitment. You need to ask a specific commitment that you're asking them to do. How many times a month did they say they can serve? And this should all be on paper, right? Put it on paper, have a timeline. Maybe you're saying for six months, I need you to serve twice a month in order for us and our team to continue to grow. And ask, ask for feedback. Say, hey, what are your thoughts on this three-month contract that you and I are going to sign? It's a commitment 
to me and you committing to God that, hey, we, you and I are going all in on this together. So how are they going to play a part on your team? How are they going to play a part on your staff? You need to get it on paper and both of you need to go through it. Be specific again at coffee, over dinner, have a position description ready for them. And if this is just a, like the entry level, just serving twice a month, even that, you don't need to have a position description for them, but you need to have a commitment letter for them. Say, man, you're, what you're doing is so important. You are literally building the local church and people are going to heaven through your servanthood. I think it's a big deal. And if they don't understand that, you need to lead them to understand that. And nothing worse than hearing somebody say they won't, they won't commit to serving. No, you haven't led them to be committed to serve. So ask for a commitment. So you share the vision, you ask for a commitment, and then you set goals for growth. So we need to set goals for these specific people serving. So these goals must be trackable. They must require strength. And you need to put them on paper. So they must be trackable, which means they need to be not numerical, but they need to be quantifiable. So it needs to be something that you can look back after three months and see how many times did they not confirm on planning center? How many times did they not show up on time to team prayer? All those specific things, those things can be trackable. And yes, maybe you put numbers. Hey, I need you to recruit three people. Are you okay with that? So they need to be trackable and they must require strength. So uh, you've all heard the stretch grows strength, right? Those are the those are the three layers of growth. I've always said stretch, grow, rest, strengthen, because because rest is a part of this, right? But you need to require strength. There needs to be a, a growth opportunity within that commitment that they're saying yes to, and they're aware of. You don't want to be a blindsided growth person, like you st- you are strategizing humanity. That won't work very well. So. I need to put them on paper, like I said, have a different document of their goals, maybe scan it, put it into Google Drive so they can go back to it often. So so once we have a team member, we just recruited them, we shared the vision, they're so excited, they've seen what God is doing, you ask for a commitment, you give, they give you a yes, you guys signed it together, you put together goals together, now they're ready to go. So how do we, we have this person, they're serving three to four months, they're incredible, their passion, their excellence, their level of intentionality and everything they do, they love people so well. Now, what do we do with them? I cannot stand when a leader does not release part of their role or their role to the people underneath them. You as a leader, you need to have a vision for yourself, right? So if you have a vision for yourself, maybe you want to be in that same role for 20 years It's probably time for you to have a conversation with your leader because they need to help you see the potential of who you are and what you're supposed to do because you're not supposed to be in roles forever. If you're in roles forever, we're trumping people, I guess, from growth and opportunities within them as well. So once we have this incredible team member, what do we do with them? How do we empower and implement growth for them? Because the reality is people need a clear vision from you, their leader, of where they're going, not a title. You're not saying, hey, in six months, you're going to be this title. Say in six months, this is the type of person and leader I see you being. So this is super simple. There's four steps to this, and we can even break it down to three steps after this. You need a model, monitor, release, and then motivate. So model. It is what it is. You need to be able to model what it is that you're asking the next person to rise up and be. So if you want somebody to be on time, you got to be on time. If you want somebody to treat their spouse well, 
guess what? You need to model that in front of them. Maybe you want to model confrontation and it's not manufactured, but you need to give them space. Again, this is happens in your home of being raw and authentic with your spouse. You got to model it. You got to model, model the passion you want in the front row of worship. You got to model the type of preaching you want the worship leading. No matter what it is, ask yourself this question and think about this. Every service you are a part of, somebody is watching me that potentially will carry the role I am living in. How would I want them to do it better than myself? When you can think through that and you start to actually live in that system and place on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or whatever day you do church, you are going to see people start modeling what you want. You see this in church and it might be your church. And if it is, it's time to not find a new church. It's time to be the solution to this. So the worship team isn't in the church, like the actual sanctuary during the message or the lead pastor is not in the sanctuary during worship. That is a poor model. The lead pastor is the person who should be modeling what it looks like to worship with heart and soul. And the worship team needs to model what it looks like to be sitting in the front row with their notepad, taking notes, shouting the pastor down. See, those two things, because those are the people who are on the platforms on a Sunday, so those naturally are what the people are going to model themselves after. It's because they're on the platform. That is a big, that's, that's something that you can highlight anyway. So model, you just model that monitor. So you need to monitor the people once you have given them, empower them to do something. It's a specific task you're asking them to do. Maybe they're scheduling, maybe they're leading a team huddle, maybe they're praying, whatever. You need to monitor it. It's like you you and them are doing it together, but you're monitoring it, you're keeping close touch, but you're also slowly empowering them. Release, so you're fully releasing it. It's all yours. You take ownership of it. Give them full permission to make it better, to innovate, to make it the best possible thing because they should be more passionate about that team than you are and motivate. So this is super important. That first one to two months, you need to be a part of that team huddle. You need to be a part of that staff meeting, whatever it is. But your only job is to make that person feel like a million dollars because you will naturally already have authority over that team and people will see you and they will watch every move you do at that table. And a secure leader will get a part of that meeting or that small group and highlight that person encourage them, shout them down, make them feel like they are the most brilliant person on the planet. This isn't, this isn't manipulative. This is putting encouragement into people. And again, the modeling, go back to modeling, you're model, modeling what it looks like to honor and respect somebody in authority. So to break it down into three parts, it's me, we, you. Me, as in I'm doing it, I'm living in it, modeling it, you're observing it, and you're seeing people start to understand what it means to live in that specific role. So I'm doing it. Now we're going to do it. You and I are going to do it together and put a timeline on this. Like I said, put three months. Hey, you and I are going to do this. You see this in lead pastor successions, right? But it's like one to two years of the lead pastor who's transitioning out and the succeeder. Both of those people are doing everything together. The person is at every staff meeting, every pastoral meeting, everything they're doing, they're doing together. So me, we, and then you, you are going to do it and I'm going to monitor and motivate. So get, release it. You got to release certain things 
And the reality is if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, you're not in the church space, maybe you're a Christian, whatever, it doesn't matter. This is all applicable to you, right? Like if you are an entrepreneur and you have a startup, you should not be doing every single task for 10 years. How ridiculous does that sound, right? You need to continue to monitor and motivate people around you by you modeling what it looks like to be a hustler, to have passion, to get on the sales calls and to be the passionate, convicting, incredible leader, speaker. It takes modeling it for people to see that and it help them see the potential inside of them, who God's created them to be, because they're not supposed to be a copycat of you. They're supposed to be them and you're supposed to help them see that. And then you, you need to empower them. You need to entrust them. And it's time for you to do, spend time doing whatever maximizes the potential of the team in the organization. So the run through these four again, to make sure you got it, because this is the mate model, monitor, release, motivate, model exactly the type of person you want leading that team, monitor, so keep it, keep a close watch on them, making sure that they feel confident, make sure they're still bold, that the people are running through them, release it, give it over and motivate them from the back end and be insanely specific about that. So some, some notes anyways. So w when, when I do any of these teachings with teams or with pastors on how to recruit, what our default or many times what will end up happening is we don't actually get the heart behind it. See, all of what I just shared is the how, but I want to give you the why and maybe some key notes to make sure you don't run through your people. Because I, I myself, I have caught myself in moments running through people because I'm so mission oriented. I actually miss the whole point in general. And that is the people God has put in front of our eyes and within our hands. So a couple of key notes here. Excellence is not perfection. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of excellence. I think excellence is something that should be modeled across the board. And if somebody is a person of excellence, this is a Sweb note, you need to go check their car and say, hey, let's go look at your car right now then if you're so excellent. Every detail of them person. But excellence isn't perfection. Perfection, this is from a psychologist. Perfectionism is a defensive mode trying to earn approval. When you think about perfectionism, you think, wow, that person is perfect or they're trying to perceive themselves as perfect. But what it is, it's actually not even an offensive thing. It's a defensive mechanism we do to try to earn approval from the people around us. And we know, right, like if you've been in counseling for more than five minutes, you understand that these things happen when our parents or our coach or our teacher expects perfection. I don't want to be a person who expects perfection because I'm not perfect either, but we do want to make sure we are expecting excellence. Go to Chick-fil-A right now and go to Popeye's and you will see what I'm talking about. There's plenty of books on this. There's plenty of YouTube videos on it. I don't need to go super in depth. If you have any understanding of leadership, you understand excellence is I see the details, but that detail is attached to a person that I want to be served. So you don't, you don't want to make sure the pipe and drape is perfect just because my leader will be mad at me if I don't. What is that? That is literally a defensive mechanism to get approved by that leader. What you want is, man, I care so much about the guest coming into my church that I genuinely care about the details. Perfectionism 
if you if you are a person who struggles with perfection and being a perfectionist anyways, a perfectionist adopts this thought. I am what I accomplish. Super convicting, right? A perfectionist says, I am what I accomplish, not I am what I do, but the 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 fulfillment. I get first place every time because I don't want my dad to tell me I'm a bad baseball player. I make sure I am 10 minutes early every single time because my leader will be mad at me for not being early or on time. You are what you accomplish. That is such a lie from a pit of hell. You are not what you accomplish. Your identity is in one thing, and that is 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross, resurrected, so that you and I can have a connection with him. And when you gave your life to Christ, your self died and you were resurrected with Christ in a new identity. You have, you are a son or a daughter in Christ. That is it. That is your identity. Your identity is not a title that you carry because that title would not come with you in heaven. You are not your bank account. You are not your speaking engagements. You are not that 30 second clip that you have. We do not need to be perfectionists and we do not need our people to be perfect. But that doesn't mean that we can't progress, right? You should be getting better. You should be seeing things in a different way. You should be studying the Bible. You should be understanding the, the culture of 2023 America worship. Excellence is not perfection. Moving on from that one. You can't teach heart. Motivation and heart are things that you can see from the beginning if you have the eyes for it. If you're listening to this and you are part of a local church, what you need to look for is people's eyes on a Sunday. When they walk in to your church and you can see people, what are they looking at? Are they looking at the details? Are they looking at the people? Because I heard this once and I think it's excellent. The first thing you see when you walk into a room is usually your primary gifting. My wife, she sees the details of every single thing on a table, if it's disorganized, if the, the pipe and drape is in the perfect line, if the stage setup, the stage design is bad, the audio is bad, every single detail, if the colors don't match and don't have synergy, she sees those details because she's so hospitable. She has a gift of hospitality. I myself, when I've processed this, I see culture. I can feel it in my heart. I can feel it everywhere. When I walk into a room, I know the culture. I know the health. I know the the things that people are hiding to avoid culture, to avoid confrontation. But you can't teach heart, right? Motivation and heart are things that we need absolutely from the beginning. The person who is unmotivated is going to be draining and a life sucker from you with your team. And I'm always looking at people's eyes. I'm telling you, this just will be a game changer. Look at the people's eyes in your church. Look at the person who shows up to team night and they are looking at the things that nobody else is looking at. That is a person who is motivated. That is a person who is by design called bringing in solutions. If you're a leader, you're a solution-oriented person. I get that. But you can't teach heart. You cannot teach motivation. Because just trust me, I promise in six months, when you have to text that leader over and over and over to get on the Zoom call or show up to coffee on time or to have a smile on their face on Sundays, Versus the person who has heart and passion and motivation. And, and this isn't, this isn't judgmental, right? Like the people looking around aren't being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. You're not being judgmental from looking at this and seeing potential in people because everyone has, everyone has potential, right? Everyone has a lid 
And we as leaders are supposed to break sure, make sure they break through that ceiling or potential of that they think. Because you can always go 10% more. You always have more inside of you than you think. Because again, Ephesians 3.20, if you can ask it, if you can think it, or you can imagine it, it's not God, it's your mind. And he wants to exceed that. And that's where we live. We live in that gap between where people are, where they want to be, and where you see them being. This isn't being judgmental. This is giving observations of saying the people who see the details, the people who know where and how and why we do things are the people who God is going to bring you people like that. And it's your responsibility to pick that gold out of them, to mine it out. Nothing worse, again, than an unmotivated team or unmotivated leader. Motivation obviously isn't everything. I would take a motivated person that I have to reel back. Like, dude, you're kind of being a little obnoxious right now. Then the person who is a zombie walking in on Sunday, every single Sunday, and you're like, dude, could you put a smile on your face? Like, do you have any joy in your life? You don't want that. You don't want bad culture. You don't want, want you don't want people who are going to hurt your environment more than help it. And the eyes do not lie, and the tongue is the portrait of the heart. So their eyes, they're seeing the things that people, you honestly see that nobody else sees, but then their tongue, their tongue is full of faith, full of life, full of encouragement, full of joy. Those are the people that you're like, yeah, we are going to work together. Bring them in your world. Bring them in their home. Like I said, from the beginning of this podcast, none of this works if you aren't opening up your home to the people God's entrusted you with. Bring them in your home. Bring them with your family. Take them on the vacation. I get it. You need to get away from people. I'm an introvert as well. It doesn't matter. Your personality type has nothing to do with your calling. Yes, God's created you in a way that he's going to use that. But again, you died when you gave your life to Christ. Your personality, all that dies at, at the altar and the people who are not willing to give up their personality. I'm telling you, those are the people who have so much pride that they're not willing to grow out of a personality trait. I myself, I'm an Enneagram 8-9, okay? Eights can tend to be very direct, very rude. I'm not gonna, just going to be a rude person. That's ridiculous. I, I love when people don't even, don't even understand or don't know that I am an eight because I know I'm growing. I'm not being just the direct truth, rude kind of personality. I want to grow just like you do. So no matter what, do not empower somebody who doesn't want to be empowered. Do not spend time with somebody who doesn't want to be grow. Doesn't, you're wasting your time. And there's somebody who potentially is a part of your church who's passionate, who sees the details. You already probably know that person, by the way. As I'm talking about it, that image of that person is coming to your mind because that is the person God wants you to put leadership authority over and lead. So to run through this again, in the last two minutes of this podcast, I want you to hear my heart. This all happens when you and I accept the fact leadership happens from the home and in the home. None of this works if you don't lead your home well, you don't lead yourself well, but then also you don't have people in your home. You don't pastor people well. Dinner at your place should be the most fun thing people think about. So a couple notes again. You aren't in community with people you don't eat with. Motives matter. Your heart posture. You don't need anyone. All this stuff goes back to the heart and understanding. A pure-hearted leader is going to carry 50, 60 years of ministry with hundreds of thousands of people. The person who wants to make it about them, the person who doesn't open their home 
and the person has bad motives and constantly needs people will last about two to three years, my guess. So you need to recruit, you need to empower. If you have a church of 6,000 and you got 20 people serving on a Sunday, that is a massive loss. I'm just telling you, that is a massive loss. And you need to have people who see the vision, who can share it, get commitments with people and empower them to continue to grow in their leadership. Thank you guys so much for listening. This seriously means the world to me. If you can, please subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, like and subscribe, hit the notification bell. Every single week, we're creating content for you as a leader. You are a leader. If you lead one person, you are a leader. Today, you can empower people. You can build people. And this isn't for you. Again, like I said, the church doesn't use people to build itself. We use the church to build the people. People in your world, the people a part of your church want to be built. They want to be empowered. They want to grow closer to Jesus. They want to be a better version of themselves in 10 years. And that happens through your obedience. That happens through your vision and what God has entrusted you with. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.